The gospel reading this morning is from St. John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Glory to you. Our reading this morning is indeed from St. John 17, 20 through 26, found on page 1680, 1680 in your pew Bible. This is what John records. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. And Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. And please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I'd like for you to uh, do some visualization for me in here. I didn't bring props, so you're going to have to use your imagination. Uh, I want you to imagine that I have a, a bag of flour here, okay? A big bag of flour, that I have some cocoa, that I have some sugar, salt, eggs, milk, a couple sticks of butter, a little oil. And what does that spell? Brownies? There you go. A cake or yeah, huh? Okay. Very good. So I have all of these things and, and the individual items um, that they are have many uses and I guess you could put them together and, and make different things in brownies or different things in cakes. Um, my choice would be a chocolate cake. Uh, however, would you like to eat a spoonful of flour? No, no. Uh, how about maybe a spoonful of salt? No, no, or oil or, you know, somebody's going to love butter, you know, but I, you know, that's, my cardiologist says no more. Um, 
But all these things individually are just don't make it, do they? But together, mixed together, in unity together, in each other, they produce something that we all can appreciate. And that is a delicious cake or delicious brownies. Now, this lesson that we just heard can teach us a little bit about what it's like to um, be in service to the Lord, to serve one another, to be in unity, which is to be walking in love with each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other. And this was the desire and is the desire of God our Father and of His Son. Sometimes, though, there isn't unity. Can you think of a time when you have disunity in maybe uh, your church or disunity in the family or community? Oftentimes, things do spin out of control because of this, because of flesh. We become perhaps dissatisfied with our role. Perhaps you don't want to be flour, or I don't want to be salt. Or you, maybe you are oil, and you say, well, I've got a much more important job than the cocoa. And that's where things come up. Now, what does that look like? Maybe um, in a church, they might say, somebody might say, well, um, boy, that pastor Or, I don't know, did you see what that church looked like? Pews? Stained glass windows? Organs? You know. <gasps> oh, you know, people do that, though. Sure. They make statements that's not important. So what this has in common is, is that when we find ourselves thinking more about ourselves than being united with others. We need to come back to what Jesus prayed for those who would believe in this prayer. And that is, is that he would be in us and we would be in him. And when we are in him and he is in us, we are together in unity. We heard in our lesson this morning, there was one that was in disunity, and that was Judas. And yeah, that was a bad time to be a, a Christian, Gary. Thank you very much for your reading on that. It was. It was a tough time. They were wondering how much longer they were going to, to live. And Judas decided that he didn't want to play the role that he wanted to play. We know how that worked out for him. You know, he thought he was doing the right thing for the kingdom agenda, but he didn't do the right thing. I want to shift gears just a little bit, and we'll come back to that. But this is, uh, I got a, a, a note from my friend Bob earlier this week. These, I love getting notes from you, Bob and, and everyone. And so he sent me a text, and it was from another pastor. His name's Daryl Harrison. And Daryl Harrison wrote, six reasons, uh, in my humble opinion, why the church in America is becoming increasingly impotent. The first one is 
Now listen, hermeneutical immaturism. Yeah, thank you, Gary. That's what I did when I read this. Gary just went, what? Theological progressivism. That's number two. Number three, soteriological universalism. Number four, ecclesiastical ecumenicism or ecumenicism. Number five, pneumatological ventriloquism. I knew what ventriloquism was because I used to try to do it. Oh, sorry. Right? Not very good. Evangelical pragmatism. And then Bob wrote, and I expect to have an answer from you on Saturday morning. Yeah. Boy, it got hot. I'm like, great. I think I'm supposed to know what that means. And wait, there's more. I looked it up. These kind of statements on there were kind of the things that going through the seminary, there are people that will use two-bit words to sound above it. But they're also important words, and they do have meaning. So if I can get past, and you can get past the kind of the, the dressing up of it, a hermeneutical immaturism is a childish, childish, even ignorant knowledge of Scripture. Could that be a problem for the church and why it's impotent? Theological progressivism. That's questioning God and his word. That sounds like that could be a problem, amen? Soteriological, I got it that time, universalism. That means all roads lead to God, right? That could be a problem for the Christian church. Ecclesiastical ecumenicism, got it right that time too. Church tradition and governance. Woo. When we start war worshiping the way that's always been in the church at the disparity of unity togetherness when we say the flower is the most important part but all of them come together to make it important so when you see the stained glass windows or you see the altar or you see the pulpit or the baptismal font we don't worship any of these things do we no but they're reminders but some people walking in here might go, oh my gosh, they're idolaters. And so that is a problem from the pulpit that we don't teach that. So church tradition and governance, if that is what it seems to be worship, then that can be a problem on why the church is impotent. Amen? Pneumatological ventriloquism. Anytime you hear pneuma, it's your breath, right? So you're thinking of um, Jesus breathed. On his disciples, do you remember that a few weeks back? Gave him the Holy Spirit, just like God breathed into man, Adam. So that is the Holy Spirit manipulation. Uh, yesterday I explained it in, in this way, I, I think I'm accurate, and that is that when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. God told me to tell you, and I've had that happen, and, and uh, great, great, gracefully I was given an answer to that instead of 
the one that's knee-jerk and, and very fleshly of your pastor, and that is, wonderful, thank you. And then I go away and I go, hey, you know, Dad, <laughs> why didn't you just tell me <laughs> if this is true? That's my question. Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit come and tell me or tell you? You know, but that is that, is that uh, the idea of a pneumatological manipulation, ventriloquism. There is no there there. Evangelical pragmatism. This is the most dangerous one in my opinion, and that is spreading evangelical, the message only if it has a practical application. And then jettisoning, throwing out, tossing out anything that is impractical, anything unpractical that is, I don't know, are we talking about jettisoning the law? Well, that's the Old Testament. That doesn't apply anymore. Really? That's not what Jesus said. The law stands. Does it not? He fulfilled the law, did he not? So these are all things that, that this man, and I'm grateful to Bob for forwarding it to me. I'm grateful for him to putting it out there because I had to spend time to look this up and parse it. He did it on purpose. He was fishing. And he, you know, pulled that jig and he got me. Got me. Hook, line, and sinker, and now you get to, you've heard it. Okay, so what's the inoculation to that, to the church being impotent well we're supposed to be together and that's the theme today that's we're supposed to be together in our opening uh scripture here with, with acts you're talking you they walked a sabbath day's walk does anyone know what a sabbath day walk is well in in those times and those that uh, observed the law they were allowed to walk two thousand cubits on a sabbath <laughs> that's it no more that's about a half a mile. And so that's how far they walked uh, from the Mount of Olives up to the room upstairs. And we hear that uh, Peter spoke to them, reminding them of the Psalm of David, which is Psalm 41.9, which says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he's lifted his heel against me, a prophecy of David. So why do we come together? Why do they come together? We come together because we are to come and break bread. We are to come together and speak of the psalms, sing songs, and worship God, and to learn about him in us. We're to learn what a hermeneutical immaturism is, something like that that can help us with our faith so that if someone comes to you, you have an answer to the reason for your faith. It's interesting that they come together and, and even Peter says, talks about the psalm pointing to the future of what happened with Christ. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. These guys have knowledge now. It all made sense that Jesus had told them all along. They understood the seemingly simple thing for us to understand because we get to look at it from here. But when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that this temple will be torn down, and in three days, I'll rebuild it. And we know he was talking about his body, but they didn't. They do now. That's why they come together, to talk of these things. We need to know that everything in the Old Testament, every jot and tittle points to Christ and him crucified. 
And that serves to unite us. I want you to write this down if you feel like it, but even if you don't. On Psalm 110, that speaks of the Messiah. And all of the prophecies, all of the everything that has been written about the Messiah in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. So Psalm 110, if you take a look at that at your leisure, it says things like that he will sit at my right hand. It says that troops will follow him. It says that he will come in the order of Melchizedek. It says that kings will be crushed, that nations will be judged, that the dead will be stacked and rulers will be crushed. He came like a lamb. He's returning like a lion. Psalm 72 says he reigns as long as the sun and as long as the moon. It says from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth, Tribes will bow. Enemies will lick the dust. That's contrition, defeat. Kings will bring tribute. All nations will serve him. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. In other words, yeah, he came as a lamb. He came as a baby. He is the king. He is resurrected. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he will come and judge again. That is what the Old Testament tells us. That is what we come together and and celebrate. And that is why we worship him. Because this baby, this lamb, who's coming back as a lion, chose you. Chose me to be his children by what he did on the cross Christ and him crucified gave you and I the power to be called children of the living God he's coming back for you and for me and not because we are so nice but because he chose you here's the here's the bottom line in which he prays for us. The Alpha and the Omega prays for us. Nay, he sings over us. That is that Jesus has truly risen in his body from the dead. Jesus reigns right now as an unseen king The unseen king of the here and now, he reigns. And he will return at a time appointed by the Father. But he will return and he will be in full sight of all of the nations, of all of the rulers, of all of the people. And they will bow and this will happen in God's good time. And so the therefore, there is, this is what the there is there for. And that is, do not, brother and sister, let the evil one lock Jesus in the past. 
Do not let the evil one lock him in the past. Do not ever abide by, oh, that's the Old Testament that has nothing, no meaning here. And do not, do not reduce his ministry to you, which is going on in you right now, in here, right now. He is ministering to you. But instead, we should boldly pray to Jesus, and we should acknowledge him as Lord. He is our Lord, and he is the reason that we are in good standing. You are in good standing today and your eternal tomorrow. Once again, you are in good standing today. Your sins have been forgiven. Do you remember hearing that? By his authority, I declared that to you. For his sake, the Father forgives you of all of your sins. You are made new, united in him and he in you right now so that your eternal tomorrow, when you go home, is secure. And that eternal tomorrow flowed by, through his perfect work on that cross. The victory that he had over the grave is yours and is mine and we know that he is enthroned at the Father's right hand. He said so. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Let us pray. Lord, increase our faith in Jesus' past, his present and future triumph, and make us bold witnesses to him in every facet of our lives together. In the name of Jesus, amen.